our spines. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for this church, this congregation, the fellowship that you've provided for each one of us, the encouragement it affords each one of us on this day that you ordained from eternity past, Father. Thank you for the little things in our lives, the reminders that you give us that reveal your unerring loving kindness. You don't have to do these things, Father, but you do. And for those things, we are very grateful. We pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that we might be given a chance to evangelize them, that we might rejoice someday in heaven with them. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to our benefit. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to open up with a friendly reminder. In Holy Scripture, we're going to be doing a lot of um, turning of pages this evening. Let's start with John 14, verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Again, just a friendly reminder, some encouragement right out of the gate from God the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. In other words, live without fear in your life. Live without that ungodly fear and its little tendrils that seem to reach so deeply within us. Live without that. Throw it away. There's no real reason for it, as we'll continue to see this evening. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that carries a lot of weight. And really, that's just Jesus' way of personally encouraging you. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. In other words, you know the way to heaven. So do you. I'm speaking to a crowd that presumably knows what Jesus is talking about, and it is very com comforting, and it is very encouraging to know that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place especially for us, and that's just a wonderful perspective to kick off uh, this message titled, The Lord is Our Confidence. As I mentioned, Scott was tasked with teaching a message titled, Healthy Versus Unhealthy Fear, on Tuesday on the coattails of that 74-part series on the deceitfulness of sin. And just reflecting back on that, whenever I think of the Spirit's curriculum with this particular congregation, I think of him closing out long series like the one we just closed out on Sunday by 
what I call filling in the blanks. There's just sort of some, you know, extra work um, that's edifying that might encourage us uh, even after the series itself is completed because we sort of get out of that deep dive mind shaft, right? And, you, you know, your eyes have to adjust, so to speak. And so we always have something to say uh, before we move on to a larger um, topic. So we pads uh, existing doctrines we've learned along the way and, and such. So it makes, again, it makes perfect sense that given the emphasis on the fear of the Lord, if you remember in the final parts of the deceitfulness of sin, we had an emphasis on the fear of the Lord. And so it makes total sense that uh, the Spirit would give us Tuesday's message. So I want to review that quickly. Up here on the board was uh, a key point from Tuesday healthy versus unhealthy fear. There is a good, righteous fear to behold, and we'll see more of that this evening, and there is a dangerous, unrighteous fear uh, we must deny. So there's two different kinds of fear, if you would. One uh, leads to good things, and one leads us away from good things. We are able to discern the difference by learning the Word of God, doing what you're doing right now, going home and reading your own Bibles, etc., we're able to discern the difference by learning the Word of God, listening to the Spirit, including through your pastor. This is a spiritual gift after all, and they are ordained and empowered by God the Holy Spirit. So learning the Word of God, listening to the Spirit, including through this pulpit, and prayer, of course. And that's how we learn uh, the differences and it's important that we learn the differences because you might think that fearing the Lord is, you know, shaking in your boots all the time or being afraid the way you're afraid of snakes or spiders or, I don't know, losing your job or something like that. That's a different kind of fear. So speaking of the Word, the Spirit, and the spiritual gift communicating to you right now, let's gather up some more encouragement. Go to Second uh, Timothy 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. So tonight's going to be very encouraging, edifying. We're just going to see uh, Scripture upon Scripture that uh, drives that point home, which is um, that our Lord is our confidence, and fear of the Lord leads us in that direction. But you've got to be open to it. You have to be humble. 2 Timothy 4, 1. Again, the, the Spirit um, authored this, but He also authored this message, this message this evening through this spiritual gift. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, Exhort with great patience and instruction. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I was just reading that, um, verse 4. They will turn aside the myths. Do you want to get scared in a hurry? 
turn aside to myths. Um, I mentioned, I sort of alluded to it a little bit on Sunday when we got into uh, the book of Revelation, how, you know, you got all these crazy preachers that come on at about 2 in the morning just screaming about Armageddon and what have you, and they're just myths, and they're scaring people. And it just spreads an unhealthy, ungodly fear. And it's misappropriating Holy Scripture to such things. And so that's what um, Paul was writing here to Timothy as a, a, pa- a pastor like myself, um, letting him know that people are going to be, have this morbid curiosity with mythical things. On Tuesday, though, the idea of rebuking fear itself came up. We just saw that. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, rebuke, or rebuke and exhort. Um, on Tuesday, the idea of this rebuking fear itself came up. And it's an unorthodox way of thinking about how we approach our own fears, but the point is simple. Fear is all too often misdirected in our souls. Fear is all too often misdirected in our souls, and so we have to grab hold of it. We have to rebuke it, so to speak. Knowing this, that fear is all too often misdirected, misappropriated even, knowing this, the kingdom of darkness takes advantage of us. It's easy to take advantage of a scared person. It's usually the easiest way to lead someone around by the nose. Let's face it. I mean, that's how we even, uh, in many ways, train up our our pets. There's a certain fear involved. um, And once we have them controlled that way, we just lead them around. I'm not saying you beat your dog into submission, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So the kingdom of darkness takes advantage of us using ungodly forms of fear as a vehicle for advancing its own purposes. God, though, uses godly fear for good, again, while the kingdom of darkness uses a counterfeit version for evil. The idea is to resist such things, to rebuke them in our lives. That's what came out on Tuesday, to rebuke them. And what is able to rebuke said fear? The Word of God. That's why I'm to preach that thing to you. So it has a rebuking effect, even in your own life, that you might have a certain fear that is unfounded as far as Holy Scripture is concerned. Some of you might be dealing with that right now, uh, where you're afraid of a certain something because you're afraid to, I don't know, lose something? But what are you afraid to lose? You're, you're afraid to lose out on an opportunity to what? You're afraid to lose out on what? What is it that you're afraid to lose out on? And is that a godly thing to start with? So your fear might be unfounded, and that's how the Word of God rebukes uh, said fear in our lives. So we're to take that tact, if you would. So I was thinking about that. This is wholly impossible if we remain in the dark, unable to even identify the source of our fears. I've met a lot of people that live in fear, and and you... I don't even know how to approach them sometimes. I mean, I feel like saying, what are you afraid of? You just seem on edge all the time. You're always antsy. You're always filled with anxiety. Um, some of these people self-medicate in a variety of ways. Um, all these things, they're always in fear. And I say to myself, what, what are they afraid of? And if you peel back the onion, the, the reality is that they need to rebuke certain things in their lives. But the second reality, the more important, deeper reality is they don't have the Word of God in them to do it because they're either too lazy or they're skipping out on class 
or they're not reading their Bibles, or they're, you know, whatever grace it is that they um, intend on skipping out on. So this is wholly impossible to rebuke uh, fear in our lives if we remain in the dark. I mean, how do you say, get away from me if you can't see the enemy? If you're in pitch black right now, to make it a physical example, if you're in pitch black right now, and you, you know you know how it is, right? You hear something, you're like, oh man, I can't see a thing. Where's that coming from? How do I get that thing away from me? If you're in the dark, how do you do that? In the spiritual life, how do you do that if, you're, if you remain in the dark? You can't even identify the source of it. You just kind of know something's there, and you know that you're anxious, right? I mean, why is anybody afraid of the dark? Because the boogeyman's there, right? There could be nothing there. Usually the 99.9% of the time, there's nothing there, but you're afraid of it. God didn't put that there. That creepy movie you watched last week put that there. That's why you're afraid. So this rebuking of fear, it's wholly impossible if we remain in the dark, unable to even identify the source of our fears. As is the case with most things the Spirit teaches us, we must examine ourselves closely the way a good doctor does during a checkup. And I was thinking about that. If you've ever noticed, um, a good doctor, they do one thing. They ask a lot of questions. That's how you know you have a good doctor. If a doctor just comes in and looks at you and scribbles something down and walks out and says, I'll take my 150 clams now, that's not a very good doctor. I want a doctor that comes in and asks me a lot of questions, even if I don't feel like answering them, to be honest. I want them, I want them to feel comfortable. They're the expert after all, right? They're the ones who have gone through medical school. So have you ever noticed that a good doctor asks a lot of questions? Why? Because human beings don't always present themselves as ill, even though they might be gravely so. They might be gravely ill, but we don't always present it. For You could have some form of cancer or something, and you don't even know you're sick or, you know, what have you. In fact, if you were to tally up the number of questions a doctor asks during a routine physical, they'd likely amount to more than the number of prods he or she uh, performs during your appointment. They might, you know, stick your tongue out, this kind of a thing. But nowadays, it's just a battery of questions, a lot of questions. How's this feeling? How's that feeling? Let me look at your history. How's that doing? Any more lumps? Any more, you know, pains? Any more blah, blah, blah? Uh, in other words, so much of identifying illnesses is based on critical questioning. The actual act of critical questioning. We might call that targeted examination. Targeted examination. An example might be if you have a weakness that maybe you're sort of over, maybe you ought to have a targeted examination to see if there's not another tumor growing in that area of your life. If you're susceptible to it, you should have a targeted examination. That's exactly what a doctor would do. I mean, if you had breast cancer last year, probably the first thing your doctor's going to ask you when you walk in, any more symptoms? I see you've had breast cancer. Any, any more symptoms we should talk about? Any more lumps? Any more this kind of a thing? He'd be remiss. He'd be ridiculous if he didn't. Well, that's the same thing in our own lives, is it not? If you've had a certain cancer in your life, and we all have different forms of it, 
um, and you don't have a targeted examination in your own life on that topic, you're remiss. You're, you're, you're as bad as the bad doctor is, the one who doesn't ask any questions. A good doctor never asks random questions either. Rather, they are always pointed, always have a certain purpose. I mean, these guys are pretty busy, right? They're not going to sit there, unless they're just, you know, bedside manner stuff. But they're not going to sit there and ask you a ton of questions that are irrelevant, you know? They always have a certain purpose. And furthermore, if he or she is unsatisfied with or concerned by an answer that we give them, they will ask deeper questions to get to the bottom of the possible illness. In other words, they might see a red flag. Be like, oh, that's interesting. Well, what about this then? And then, oh, that's even more interesting. What about, do you have these symptoms? This is exactly what God desires us to do in the spiritual realm. We must be willing to subject ourselves to examination. Our job is to show up while it's the Word and the Spirit's job to complete the evaluation. In other words, the truth is going to be under the microscope of the Word and the Spirit. But our job, just like we have to go to the doctor, can't skip all our appointments like some people do, um, you have to show up to be examined. All right, back to the instigating point. In order to rebuke fear itself, we must be able to identify the source of the fear in the first place, and that requires identification. So here's a good point to think about. Identification requires light. Identification requires light. If we're going to rebuke fear, we need light because fear is born of darkness, and I'm talking right now of ungodly fear. Fear uh, subsists in darkness. It's born out of darkness. When we go into darkness from the light experientially, we become fearful. That's what the Bible teaches us. So we have to go to the light to identify even the source of our fears. Whenever we think about identifying truth, we must think about light. If we want to know the truth about our fear, the source of it, we have to think about light. Psalm 27, 1-7 119, 97, 105, and John 8, 12. So I just want to walk some Holy Scripture to validate the point on the board and keeping in mind that darkness ushers in fear while light diminishes it. Darkness ushers in fear while light diminishes it. So if we're going to rebuke fear itself in ourselves, if we want to get to the bottom of it, we want to understand why we're filled with anxiety, and, you know, things that lead to even depression and all these other things that scare us, uh, we have to go to the light. We have to go to the one source that's able to illuminate the truth in ourselves. Go to Psalm 27, verse 1. What does the Bible have to say? This is a wisdom book. We're going to spend a lot of time in the wisdom book this evening, or wisdom books, plural, this evening. Psalm 27, verse 1. The point on the board, whenever we think about identifying truth, we must think about light. So identification, in other words, requires illumination. You can't identify something if you're in the dark. And if you need to identify something to identify the source of something uh, 
scary, or if you would like fear, then you need identification, therefore you need light. Psalm 27, verse 1. What does it say? Right off the bat, the Lord is my light and my salvation, my deliverer. The Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? Do you see right there? Right, on, right there. The Lord is my light and my deliverer. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. That lends itself to tonight's title, Our Confidence is the Lord, or the Lord is our confidence. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Isn't that a wonderful form of deliverance? In other words, you could walk in the, 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 the darkness, through the, the valley, if you would, of darkness, with all the proponents of it trying to encamp you and to try to weigh you down, and you can be confident you're going to go right through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right through this thing. Well, who am I going to be afraid of here? I see the truth. You remember uh, like Ephesians 5, see it all as truth? I see the truth. I see what's going on here. I have identified my enemies. I have identified the source of ungodly fear. And therefore, I can walk with confidence. One thing I have asked from the Lord, verse 4, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. Again, the point up on the board is identification requires light. Whenever we think about identifying something, the truth, specifically about ourselves, we must think about light. We have to have the light. We have to walk in the light. We just read that in Psalm 27. Again, keep in mind that darkness ushers in fear, while light diminishes it. Go to Psalm 119, verse 97. Psalm 119, 97. The Lord is our confidence. Darkness ushers in fear, light diminishes it. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your law, your word, that's the Bible. In other words, the contents of the Bible. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Well, that's good to know, for they are ever mine. I, I tell people that a lot. Whenever someone says, you know, I'm just going to throw on the time. I'm quitting my job. I'm moving out of the country. I'm doing a, you, no matter where you go, you're going to have enemies. I can't even tell you how many different jobs I've held in my life. And every single one of them had jerks there. 
had people that were trying to undermine you or undercut you or stab you in the back so they could get ahead. And I'm talking about from the, you know, blue collar, the bluest of blue collar to the whitest of white collar. It didn't matter. Human nature is human nature. People are scuzzes. Welcome to Thursday night's class. <laughs> no extra charge. <laughs> They're always there. So the solutions, the human solutions to certain problems, it doesn't change anything. The idea is to, to walk in the light. The idea is to rebuke fear itself, to get that out of your system. And the only way you can do that is what the Bible teaches us, which is consume and digest the word, be filled with the spirit, and pray a lot for guidance. So again, verse 98, you see the idea of meditation uh, we could translate that loosely into praying as well. But you know it's gone. It's a bigger word there. Uh, but certainly we meditate when we pray. Uh, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Hate it. Do you hate evil? Do you hate sin? Don't you hate what it does to you in your life? Don't you hate when you figure out the source of something that's been nagging you for years, and you're like, man, I hate you. I hate that thing. I hate it. Nobody, I'm the only one. Right? I just hate it. I can't take it sometimes. It makes me crabby, and then I have to step, in, step back and say, all right, don't go there either. But you know what I'm saying. It's okay to have an indignation, a righteous one, against certain ungodly things in your own life. And so we learn the Word of God. We get understanding, and then we hate every false way. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You're going to walk through that valley of darkness? This is the counsel. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want that kind of freedom? You want that kind of deliverance? Learn the word of God. Learn the word of God. Again, the point on the board that's being amplified, identification requires light. You want to root out. We're talking about fear, but it doesn't have to be fear. There's lots of ungodly things that precipitate out of walking in darkness. But nonetheless, here's the principle. Identification requires light. Whenever we think about identifying truth, we must think about light. In particular, we, need, we must want it. We want that thing in our lives. I want to see um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to see not just the good things in my life, the things that he's done by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't want to just see those things. Are those things encouraging? You bet. But I also want to see the things that are still holding me back, the things that have precipitated fear in my life. I can't get my arms around it just yet. And like a good doctor, I have to keep asking questions and I have to go back. You know, I've, I've seen my own doctor say, man, you got you got something going on. Let me go to my books. And now they, all their books are on the computer. Right in front of me. 
He's basically admitting he doesn't know everything, which is great. I love it. That's called humility. Right? He's like, let me look at what, I sh- what the best thing to give you is. <laughs> you know. And that's awesome. That's what we need to do. We need to go to the truth, ask the right questions, get to the right sort of place, and then find what the remedy is in the Word of God. So we have to, uh, whenever we think about identifying truth, we've got to think about the light. Finally, we have one uh, precious uh, verse from the words or the mouth of our Lord. Go to John 8.12. John 8.12. Well, if we want light, I guess we should go to the source, right? John 8, verse 12. John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So we have to go to the source. If we want to go to the source of light, if we want to know the truth, he is the fullness of grace and truth after all. So says the Bible. He self-proclaims it. I am the light of the world. So if you put, just looking back on where we came from, I didn't look at how many months it took us, but we spent many months, not just weeks, on the deceitfulness, with the emphasis on deceitfulness, of sin. And deceitfulness does not exist in the light because God is not a God of confusion and God does not lie. Yet the father of lies, which is the embodiment of darkness, that's all that's over here. So it's, of course, deceit lies in this realm, not this one. This is light. This is darkness. So if you think about our series there, months of, of, of messages uh, on the deceitfulness of sin, if you put two and two together towards the close of our recent series, you also might have noticed that deceit is really just the fruit of darkness. The fruit of darkness. That's all deceit really is. When we experientially leave the light behind when we choose to make bad decisions uh, we are walking away from the light and back into darkness experientially and that's where we become more and more deceived and when we're deceived what else is over there Uh, fear when we're deceived we also are fearful makes total sense because that's the embodiment of darkness we're deceived we're in fear that's the fruit of darkness. And that really came out at the end of the message or the messages as well in our recent series. So the fruit of darkness, deceit really being the fruit of darkness, this is the exact opposite of the light of truth, the Word of God. So I hope you see what the Spirit's getting at here. Essentially, it may be summarized this way. If we want to be pleasing to God and therefore blessed, we need to seek the truth, namely the light. There's different ways to cut that out. I mean, you could say from an academic standpoint, that means learn the Word of God. From a more philosophical bent, it means walk with the Lord. It means that's our unction, our desire, uh, is to be and to walk in the light. And if we want the truth, then we need the light. Otherwise, we slip back into the darkness experientially, lose the blessings, and then end up groping for peace. Though we never find it over there. We drift back to the darkness, and then we end up groping for peace. Isn't that the cycle? Isn't that dysfunction junction, everyone? We have a high, we, you know, we're like, oh, this is the best. I have so, I, it's the weirdest thing. 
People will come to you one day and say, man, I've never had more peace in my life. And then the very next day, or maybe it's a week because the slope is maybe not that steep. Maybe it's like this, you know what I mean? The next week, they're like, I'm miserable. I'm like, what happened to last week? You had all the peace. You were on top of the world, and now you're saying you're groping for it. Like, like you've never had it. It's the strangest thing. We, we, we willingly allow ourselves to be sort of uh, ushered away from the light. It's the strangest thing. We, we make the decisions. God doesn't want you to go in that direction, so you know it's your decision-making. Especially most of you have been at this for so long. You really know it's your decision-making at this point. It's the craziest thing. We lose our blessings and we do it anyways. It's like, you know, the person who never pays attention to the hangover. I know there's going to be a big hangover if I drink this tonight. But what the heck? And then the next day, they're praying to the porcelain king. Have, have you not learned? Or are you doing the walk of shame? Have you not learned? No, people are funny animals. To echo Paul, always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Up here on the board. Walking in the light. Standing and walking in the light means we cannot be fooled or deceived by darkness. That's what that means. As long as you're in the light, and I'm speaking the way the Apostle John would, almost in absolutes here. Standing and walking in the light means we cannot be fooled or deceived by darkness. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful, as far as I'm concerned. It's a grace gift. Much of what the Spirit's saying here, in summary, is articulated in a passage we've returned to so many times throughout our recent series. Uh, go to Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. I'll have to look at my notes, but this particular verse might have been the genesis of the message title that we just came off of. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. You see, the fullness is in the Word of God. Completely full, chock full, 100% full. Not the Word of God, empty. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. This is the encouragement. Walk as children of light. There's an experiential notion here, of course. Walk, then, as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of the light, as opposed to the fruit of darkness, which is, as we've seen, fear, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Learning implies Romans 10.17, hearing the word, the word of Christ, that's where faith even comes from. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what we should be after. Walk as children of light, trying to learn, take out the parentheses there, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That is exactly what tonight's message is all about. Do you see it? 
rebuking fear in your life. Letting light shine on those spots. Allowing yourself to be examined, partaking in the examination itself by answering all the right questions, ferreting out certain sources of things like fear in your life, whatever that unholy thing happens to be constituted of. Uh, uh, Going that route and doing that work, that's what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what it means to walk as children of light. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them starting with yourself, of course. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. That really is just Paul's way of saying the good, the bad, and the ugly. You just want to know the truth. There's something ugly going on in your life. Be honest about it. Ask the right questions. You know, like some people won't go to the doctors because they know something's wrong. Do you know people like that? My dad was like that, and he died at 49 years old. They won't go to the doctor because they know something's wrong. They're afraid of the light. They're afraid of the actual truth, which is weird, but that's people. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. We've read this, how many times in that series did we go back to these verses? A lot making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, up here on the board, it's from Aphron in the Greek. Ah, it means without, and friend means inner perspective as it regulates behavior. Together you have Aphron. It means to lack perspective. Do not be this. Do not be foolish. Do not lack what? Perspective. How many times has the word perspective come from this pulpit in the last year alone? And the blogs included. Probably the Spirit's favorite word over the past year. It means to lack that thing. Lack perspective because of short-sightedness. You know. You know, doing that thing that's going to end up causing you pain. That's going to usher you back to darkness. That's what short-sightedness looks like. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. That's foolishness. That's affluent. That's what it means to be foolish. I have other select words, but the Spirit's saying you can't say them. I'm, real, I'm serious. I almost came out three times already. And he's like, you can stop saying that. You're going to make him stumble. Just use foolish then means to lack perspective because of short-sightedness. For example, lacking the big picture. There's another key phrase um, that the Spirit's been bringing out for, for years now. I actually think from the, the uh, inception of this ministry, big picture has been one of the things, uh, one of the hallmarks of this ministry, is imparting big picture perspective to all of you for whatever reason you needed it. But anyways, lacking the big picture perspective needed to act prudently. 
It needed to act prudently. That's what a foolish person lacks. Again, verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And understand is from Sunni Emi. In the Greek, that's up here on the board. Means to arrive at a summary or final understanding. So don't be that other thing, the foolish one, without any big picture perspective, so you're unable to act prudently. Be this. Arrive at a summary or final understanding, complete with life applications, is closely connected with discerning and doing the preferred will of God. How many times does the Bible tell us, understand the will of God? We just read it. Be pleasing. Learn what it means to be pleasing to God. Well, if God's will is right in front of you, do you think it's pleasing to do it or pleasing not to do it? Mm, it's right there. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's where your blessings come from. That's where your joy comes from. That's where your peace comes from. That's, from. that's where your abiding in the sphere of love comes from. This is light. This is darkness. Anytime you take a little road trip to darkness, you've got a problem. That's where foolish people are. This is where understanding people are. So that's what Paul's writing. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I, I honestly think, the longer I think about this, he's just saying stop playing games. That would be my translation for all of you. Some of you, as I'm speaking, are literally playing games right now, making unholy, ungodly plans in your own life. Oh, sure, you're here at church and you think that makes it all better, but it doesn't because God sees the heart. All those ridiculous, disgusting plans that you've been making, uh, whatever, I don't know what they are. Obviously, the Spirit has me saying it, so some of you some of you look like a deer in a headlight, so I'm going to stop looking at you. I don't know what you're doing. It's summertime. I don't know what you're thinking about doing, what you're doing, but it's disgusting to the Lord, and He's trying to tell you, stop being a fool. Stop being short-sighted. Oh, it may, it may have its time in the summer. You may think you're having a gay old time, but you will crash and burn. You will. It is guaranteed because you've chosen to eject yourself from this sphere experientially to this one. And you will crash and burn because God is not mocked. And he doesn't have guys, 50-year-old men like me up here, uh, wasting my breath. So be understanding. Arrive at a summary of final understanding, complete with life applications, closely connected with discerning and doing the preferred will of God. Looking back, it's easy to see why we spent so many hours on the deceitfulness. I keep pointing that out because that's the key of it. It's the deceitfulness of sin that we studied for the most part. We understood sin as anything against the will of God. Okay, that's cool. I get it. But what about the deceitfulness of sin? Oh, that requires some more questioning, some more critical examination. And that's why the Spirit is encouraging us this evening to do that very thing. So it's easy to see why we spent so many hours on the deceitfulness of sin. Like so many things in the spiritual life, it's all about perspective. It's really all we ever need if you think about it. Perspective is, is everything. For example, with proper perspective, is there any reason to fear anything or anyone other than God? If you have the, a perfect perspective, 
I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Jesus Christ feared no man. He had a perfect relationship, unadulterated, absolute fear of his father, all perfect. He didn't fear man. He knew it was in man. He knew they were going to kill him. But he wasn't afraid, so to speak. Go to Luke 12.4. Luke 12.4. We went to this on Tuesday. With proper perspective, is there any reason to fear anything or anyone other than God? Jesus taught us this. These are his words. Luke 12.4. He said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, have no more that they can do. I mean, what, what, seriously? Can anybody rob you of your eternal life? No. So what are you afraid of? It's actually a promotion. If someone killed you today, you'd be like, woohoo! See, that's completely backwards thinking to a rational mind, though, isn't it? I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, have no more they can do. But I will warn you to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's what godly fear looks like. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear in an ungodly way. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus taught this very principle. What are, what are we doing? We shouldn't fear. If we have the right perspective, we shouldn't fear anyone or anything. Only God. Our last point of review from Tuesday's message titled Healthy versus Unhealthy Fear was up here on the board. Fear God, not man. True, healthy fear of God leads to faith in Christ as one's Lord and Savior, resulting in salvation from a God who extends His never-ending mercy toward those who repent and believe. Proverbs 14, 26 to 27. Luke 12, 4 to 7. So with that said, I've got some time. We're not going to finish at all. But I want to do something a little different now. I want to show you a passage that really says a lot about godly wisdom. In the source of it. Okay, And you might do that thing in your soul where you compare the source of fear... In other words, if there's fear, it's the source, or it's sources, or what's the, the source of fear. You might compare that to the source of what we're about to uh, look at, which is wisdom, godly wisdom. So I want to show you a passage that really says a lot about godly wisdom and the source of it. And as we read this extended passage together, I want you to think about the variety of topics we've covered over the past few months particularly in the 74-part series titled The Deceitfulness of Sin. Go to Proverbs 1.1. Proverbs 1, verse 1. First chapter in the book. You want to do, some, you want to do something fun? I, I threatened to do it the other day, and I, was, I didn't do it. I got distracted. Read the first chapters of, of all your favorite books. Like, for real. Do that. People are like, what? I can't get through one chapter. What do you mean all the chapters of my favorite books? I'm so godly, I love all the books. Yeah, that's why you, that's why you can't even make one. Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So the structure here in, in this chapter is that 
Solomon lays out the structural outline of his wisdom in Proverbs. And please note that the fear of the Lord is an absolute primitive throughout Solomon's wisdom teachings. In other words, you can't, you can't, um, he couldn't attest to any of this. You couldn't absorb any of this in the right way without the perspective of the fear of the Lord. Right there, as a primitive, as, a, as like a cinder block, as a cornerstone of what the Spirit builds on in this, in this entire book, actually. The fear of the Lord is preeminent, okay? So just keep that in mind. And we'll see, it, actually, the words pop up in a variety of ways as we read. Verse 2. These are the, this is the structure, in other words. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. This is what the Proverbs do. Remember, Proverbs are wisdom, uh, like snippets, if you would, of wisdom. This is what it looks like. What is a proverb? To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Even what we just read up until then is what? Knowledge. In other words, all of what he teaches in this incredible wisdom book is never absent of that cornerstone, the fear of the Lord. It says, without, in the absence of the fear of the Lord, your perspective is wrong. Does that make sense? You'd be looking at this beautiful rose bush of wisdom from the wrong side. From the dark side, not the sunny side, if you would. All the blooms are on this side. It's like going on the other side and looking at it and going, I don't see anything great. It's because you don't fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord has to be the substance of our knowledge. Take that away like, like churches have nowadays. And it's no wonder that you've got a bunch of idiots running around and calling themselves Christians because they, they don't fear the Lord. So when they read certain scriptures, like, eh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Don't do this. Eh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I guess it's just good guidance. You know, like the world thinks of Psalms and wisdom books and Proverbs and Saul, you know, Ecclesiastes and stuff like that. The world, the world a, lot of, a lot of unbelievers will say, yeah, there's some pretty good wisdom in there. But it's a give or take, in other words. They get to decide, ultimately, is this for me or not? I actually think that there's a lot of Christians out there that have that exact same conversation in their lives. And, you know, they say they don't, but that's exactly, you know, your, your, um, your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. Remember that thing from uh, McGee, I think? Um, they have no fear of the Lord. And it's abundantly apparent that they don't. Because... They hear the truth from the Word of God, and they think it's optional. They think that they can choose for themselves. That when the pastor's up here with the filling of the Spirit, saying, hey, you're out of line. This thing that you, you're doing or thinking about doing is, is, out of, is out of whack. And you go, meh, maybe it is, maybe I don't care what you say. I think it's just a book that, you know, I get to pick and choose. 
Maybe I'll go to class, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll read the blog, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll, I don't know, do this. Maybe I'll sleep around like a hoe, maybe I won't. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe I'll do that, maybe I'll get drunk tonight, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll do this, I don't know, because it's just, you know, this is just wisdom, you know, like wisdom, like you learned in grade school. You know, you can pick and choose, you know, become your own man, become your own woman. No. What the hell does it say that in the Bible? It says, you've been purchased with a price, Jack asked. Last time I checked. See, now this is telling me to shut up. That's what happens, right? You're lucky I made it this far. I'm not even in a good mood tonight. Right? Because there's no fear of the Lord. That's the problem. There's no real fear of the Lord. But yet, there it is. In Holy Scripture, right there, it's the beginning of knowledge. If you want to understand anything about God, if you want to understand Him, the essence of God Himself, and why He says all these things as commandments and as wisdom, and why He shares all these things, why He sent His Son even, if you want to understand any of that, you have to first fear Him. It's just like the principle on the, on the board, right? Salvation is premised even on the fear of the Lord. If you don't have a fear of the Lord, you're not getting saved. Because that's going to be some bogus form of, if you even think about repentance, all you're doing is hedging a bet. You want to keep the old life, and you want a trip, a, a free ticket to heaven. That's not salvation. That's not what God says in the Word of God at all. You don't have any knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't have a knowing salvation, salvific knowledge of the Lord. You don't have it yet, because you don't even have the fear of the Lord. If you have no fear or respect for the Lord, how in the heck do you think you're going to be humble enough to be saved? How's that going to happen? That's, this is what he's saying. He's saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. Fools. Don't be foolish, remember? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There, I guarantee you, there's not that many of you here tonight. Someone already said in the last little five-minute thing when I went on my little diatribe, someone was like, shut up, Baldy. Right? So you're like, I would never. I don't even talk like that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, stop. You don't know me. Right? You don't know me. I don't. Thank God. You'd probably keep me up at night. All right, reel it in. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. How about that? How about that? Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Of course, the, the uh, premise here is that your father and mother are at least godly. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are graceful wreath, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. In other words, we know how to get rich even. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. 
We all got good giggles about a month ago when I kept saying, you know, you're going to cross the street to that road, that side of the road. And the Bible saying, don't cross the street. Don't keep your feet from that path. You see it, you identify it, get off of that road, you get back on the road. Walk as children of light. Walk the righteous road. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net. I taught this maybe six months ago, maybe, I don't know. It is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. You see, stop being short-sighted is what he's saying. Don't run with that group because they're a bunch of short-sighted fools. Say, hey, you want to make a quick buck? You want a quick something? Something that you like? We'll leave it at money. Right? You want to do this thing? Hey, how about some, some short-term gratification? How about instant gratification? How about this? How about, all right, we can, we can do this instead of reading our Bible. We can do this instead of attending church and encouraging other people in the congregation. We can do this. I can go hang around with unbelievers. I can go be a friend of the world. I can do this. I can do that. All these short-sighted things. Even a bird knows better than that. They lie in wait for their own blood. That's what a fool does. They think they're pulling one over. But God says differently, and God is never ever mocked. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. That's just a testimony, isn't it? Is that not a proverb for a lot of people? They ambush their own lives. You ever heard somebody say, man, you're your own worst nightmare. For real. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm my own worst nightmare. And it's true. That's what he's talking about. They ambush their own lives because they're fools. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. We ran out of time, but wisdom then, at that point, we'll pick it up on Sunday, wisdom begins speaking, and it's absolutely lovely. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the ability to study your word. Thank you for teaching us how to ask all the right questions, the probing questions, how to um, sustain an examination under the scrutiny of the word of God uh, by the power of your spirit. Father, these things are wonderfully placed in our lives. They're grace gifts. We love you for it. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things out and back to our homes. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.